First Church Charlotte. Praise the Lord, everybody. I feel the very warm wraparound Holy Ghost Spirit in this place today. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I want you to meet my wife. I'd like her to come up here and share a word of testimony with you. She's a great lady, great pastor's wife, great speaker. And uh, you would you would be remiss to not get to enjoy something that she could share that could help you in your walk with God today. Come on, sweetheart. Such a joy to be here to worship with worshipers. That's the one thing I look, I've been a worship leader my, ever since I was um, in my early 20s. And there's one thing I look for in a church is the worshipers. Because people that work in witchcraft and demonic and all that, they there's only a couple things that can stop them from their little ploys and their little curses and their little things that send people into um, financial problems and all these kind of things that they love to put on the people of God. And one thing they said they can't break through is a church that worships and prays and a person that intercedes, a church that intercedes. It's often that the people of God are unaware of what the enemy can actually do to them. Um, they just wander around in their depression that they've had since being a young child when traumatic things happened in their life. And they think, this is just who I am. Because of these unfortunate situations, I have to deal with this. But I want you to know that Jesus came to heal you and make you whole. To keep being hurt by things that have crushed your spirit. You know, a lot of people don't understand the difference between healing and being made whole. Jesus defined it perfectly for us when he when he healed the lepers. And they came and they he said, You're all healed, go show yourself to the priest. And only one came back. And he said, To you, I give you the gift of being made whole. What does that even mean? All the years of trauma of that man finding out he had leprosy, being now excommunicated from all the kids' groups or all the young people's groups or all the middle age groups whenever it developed, and having to call lepers, lepers, the trauma crushing weight of knowing you're not going to be with the family in the holiday season. You can't go to the temple. You can stay away from people. Do you even understand? You know, sometimes we just let our minds drift over these stories. But the trauma of not being hugged by your family. The trauma of not being able to talk with your family. From that day on, you were a leper. All that is there, but not for the one that came back to say thank you. Jesus said to you, 
I make you whole, brand new, as if all that trauma never happened. Old things gone. And I just want to offer to you a Lord and Savior that not only does he give you peace in your soul, but when you have been dealt bad cards in a life of bad situations, trauma, you don't have to live in that unwholeness where on any given day you can want to be happy, but your mind starts drifting to the trauma. God can make you whole. That's what we move into the spirit. And I want to tell you just a few things to help you. We as Christians have to watch our words. Words are currency in the spirit world. Okay? This was one of the first lessons God had to teach me. No days off on your words. Your words either paying Satan's prophecy over your life or it's paying God's prophecy over your life. You're either declaring so you don't get to say, I just feel like dying. No. You don't, you don't get a day off to say that because you've just agreed with the agreement of Satan. That's exactly what he wants too. You don't have a chance to joke about things that you're proclaiming. Everywhere I go, I'm always, I never make a dollar. No. Don't agree with Satan ever. When you declare your words, always understand they're building a bridge from you to God or you and the devil. And the, the people of God have to know that when you start realizing this and you start purposing in your heart, you'll, you'll quit saying I'm dead tired. You'll quit saying anything that's negative because you realize I'm not going to half proclaim Satan and half proclaim God. God starts critiquing and it's not about cursing anymore because curses actually begin to say the things that come of your mouth about your own child. They're so ignorant. They never, they, they're, they're often sin and they're making horrible choices. Those thoughts come into your mind, but you got to put a gate over here because you're cursing them. You're cursing them with your mouth. What, what does your mouth say? Your mouth is supposed to say, those that are planted in the house of the Lord flourish in the courts of the Almighty. My child is planted in the house of the Lord and he flourishes in the courts of the Almighty. that everything out of your mouth agrees with God or agrees with the devil. When you declare your future or look at your past, I always mess up. Oh, that's the devil's song. He'll sing it to you while you're asleep and he'll sing it to you when you wake up. And his hope is you get more depressed every day. But if you wake up and say, I know my authority this morning. I'm a, I have the authority. I'm a daughter of Zion. When I walk into this world, I bear in my body the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hand it out and I declare and I decree and I make a change. I want to tell you a secret this morning. The words of 
most Christians have little to no power because God cannot trust them with that power because they cannot control their tongues. If he trusts you to say good, but the next sentence is evil, if he gave your words power, they have power both ways you speak. He doesn't pick out the good and say, oh, the bad, let's ignore that. He just won't let you have power when you speak until you understand my words speak life or death. The power of life or death is in my mouth. Once you learn that, you'll stop feeling hopeless and powerless because when you get up, you declare the word. And just remember this. When the Spirit speaks, you know how often it speaks in mysteries and symbols and all those things, and then God gives you a revelation, and now you know what that meant that He just told you or the dream that He just gave you. I want you to know that in the Spirit world, everything you declare in the flesh is what happens in the Spirit. So if you're seeing a, a someone in the hospital in the flesh, in the, in the spirit, they're in the hospital. You need to start speaking them out of these places with your mouth. God said you'll live and you won't die. Awake, awaken to righteousness and let the light of God flow through you. Or resurrection power. Resurrection power. There's all kinds of things. Once you learn, your mouth is currency. Everything out of it is currency. You don't get a joke and break. You don't get nothing. It's not that you can't say jokes. Your jokes just need to say the right things. Spontaneity and unpredictability is the secret weapon of those who are led by the Spirit. Those that are the sons and daughters of God are led by the Spirit. That means you're not in charge. Led. Led. How many days of your week? Don't raise your hand because none all of us are going to fall short. But just think about it. Every, how many days in your week and how many hours of your day do you allow to be led by the Holy Spirit? And I just want to tell you this morning, the Holy Spirit is not something you or I can use. The Holy Spirit needs a willing vessel. And that's how the Holy Spirit works. He uses a willing vessel. And we say, not what we want to do because we don't want to do this. And he's saying, go talk to that woman. You know, I don't want to do that. And he's saying, are you going to be led by the Spirit? This morning, let's make a vow. God, help us hear your voice good so we can be led your spirit. We're, you're not ours to boss around. We're here to let you take our body, possess us from our head to our toes, and fill us with your precious Holy Spirit that we can go out and represent you in this world. God bless you.
stand, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I feel faith in this house. There's faith to see God do the incredible and do the impossible. Our faith isn't really stretched until we believe beyond our capacity to imagine. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Wow. I can ask big and I can think pretty big, but I haven't scratched the surface of possibility. I want to turn your attention to the book of John, chapter number 11. Appreciate everybody that's done such a fine job uh, running the services. When the pastor's away, he relies on the team infrastructure, reliable men and women and young people even that are doing their part to make the house of God what it is. It's a body. And I feel that unity and I feel that relationship that this church has among yourselves and with the Lord. John 11, verse number 38. Um, then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Did I not say to you, that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Now there are some people that say, I've got to see it to believe it. They got it backwards again. God's people believe to see it. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you'd see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone in the place where the dead man was laying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me, and I know that you always hear me. Because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus. Come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Now in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 14, the Lord replies to Moses, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, 
I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now, everybody say now. Now, now show me your glory. I want to preach from the subject, seeing the glory of God. Let's ask God's blessing upon his word. Thank you, Lord. Power of the word of God. Let it find a lodging place. We confront impossibilities today. Intransigent difficulties, demons, sicknesses, circumstances, all of them will fall before the glory of God. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. So today we're going to learn about how to walk in his presence and how we are to stand in his glory. I've made the mistake, and I'm sure you have too, of assuming that the words glory and presence of God are synonymous and can be interchanged and exchanged at will. This is not so. It wasn't so for Moses, and I don't believe it's so for you and I today. In the reading from Exodus, Moses had just come from the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting was the place where God would meet with Moses and commune with Moses. And in the tent of meeting, he had an encounter with God, and he encountered the presence of God. But he left the tent of meeting, but he didn't want to leave the presence of God and face the challenges that were before them, and that was to journey into a strange land and to occupy a land that was already occupied with uh, dangerous tribal uh, territorial people. And so Moses said to the Lord, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't let us go anywhere without you. And the Lord said back to Moses, my presence is going to go with you and with the children of Israel because I love you and you have my favor and I'm going to keep my word. You're not going to go alone, Moses. I'm going to go with you. And as soon as Moses gets the assurance from God that his presence, everyone say his presence, that his presence was guaranteed to travel with them in their sojourn through the wilderness and then into the promised land, he says, now, Show me your glory. So here's the deal. Moses made a distinction between the presence of God and the glory of God. And I think we would do ourselves a great favor to make the same distinction as well. Too many of us stop at the presence of God. We get a little refreshing. We enjoy some renewal get a goose bump or two, maybe even a goose bump on top of a goose bump. Oh, yeah. Little hallelujah, shout and dance, 
and then we walk out. But Moses was not satisfied with just the presence of God. He wanted to see the glory. And I just want to ask, is there anybody perchance that might be interested in going beyond just a superficial encounter with God, but you want the glory of the Lord? But we've heard stories of tongues of fire sitting upon each of them. And we've heard of when the Shekinah would enter into a service and there would be like a, a, it wouldn't come from like a fog machine, but a Holy Ghost fog machine. And then the next thing you know, the glory of the Lord would fill the house like a smoke or a flame would rest upon the top of a church house and the fire trucks would come out because the glory, oh, hallelujah. I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe that's a little too much for us to handle. <laughs> but maybe to some of you that have been around a while, maybe you think you've seen it all and experienced it all. I'm here to tell you, God's glory wants to show up in your circumstance and challenge, and challenge the enemy, and challenge the disease, and challenge the difficulty that you face in the name of Jesus. Now let me say this about some distinctions between God's presence and God's glory. First of all, God's presence affirms us. And it is important for us to be reassured, not just from time to time, but often. Nay, I say daily, that the Lord is with us and that he is in us and that he is working through us. So the presence of God is an affirming power. It lets you know and reassures you that you're in the good graces of God and his kingdom and plan. But God's glory challenges us in a way that his presence does not. I hope to make that clear in a moment or two. God's presence is subjective. And that is, um, it's something that you can feel. It's something that you can know for yourself. And the person sitting next to you may not be able to tell that the presence of God is on you, but you know when the presence of God is on you because it is subjective. But the glory of God is objective. By objective, I mean it is outside of us. It is greater than we are. It cannot be contained within the limits of our physical being. So the presence of God is enabling. And um, the glory of God, you ready for this, is disabling. Said, whoa there, that's a tough word you just threw out there. I'm not so sure I want the glory of God now. <laughs> Revelation chapter number one. John was in the island uh, on the in the island of Pamas, and he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Yes. So to be in the spirit on the Lord's day is to be in the presence of the Lord. All right. But while he was in the presence of the Lord, something else happened. In chapter number one and verse 12, it said, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. 
dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. If that isn't a picture of the glory of God, I don't know what is. John went from the presence of God to the glory of God, and when he encountered the glory of God, verse number 17 says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. So when I said, the glory of God is disabling, that's exactly what I meant. When the glory of God comes in all of its intensity and power, you're not who you thought you were anymore. In the presence of God, you can act like Hercules, or you can act like Samson, or you can put off like you got the whole thing under control. But when the glory, oh, hallelujah. Somebody needs a great big surprise from heaven. I had a surprise the other night. We had a, a ministry group at our house and we showed them a preaching tape on a projector, you know, like you project on the screen. Well, the projector comes down out of, the, out of our living room roof like this and behind is a big picture window. Well, after the meeting was over and, and everyone said goodbye and praise the Lord and we, my wife and I got ready for bed and I got ready for my midnight snack where you, you know you sneak out. <laughs> We rolled up the projector screen, but the projector was still on. Do you know what happens when you project an image against clear glass at night with no light behind you? Well, I'll tell you what happens. You get the, and someone's on the screen, it looks like they're on the outside of your window going like this. And I said, hey, hey, hey! I didn't know whether to run, to fight, to get my wife. And I said to myself, hmm, maybe that's what a visitation is like, where all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, a glorious appearance comes, an angel of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, and uh, it just kind of has a way of debilitating <laughs> But I'm going to tell you something. The glory that has the power to dismantle you also has the power to dismantle sickness. It has the power to dismantle the devil and demon possession. It has the power to dismantle depression and literally take it apart piece by piece. I'm going to tell you, God's glory wants to do some things for somebody in this place today. Does anybody want to see the glory of God? Give him some praise right now. 
And so, the presence of God is invisible. The glory of God is visible. Moses first experiences the glory of God, or the presence of God, rather. Then he moves on to ask to encounter the glory of God. Let me say this. When Moses encountered the presence of God, nobody got scared of him. But after he encountered the glory of God, now I never had an audience do that to me yet, but maybe one day you never know if we'll keep praying it might just happen. Hey Moses, put something over your face, man. You're shining. Like a set of headlights. What's going on? Oh, hallelujah. He encountered the glory. What a, if we can get an encounter with the glory of God, you can take it home with you. You can take it to school with you. You can take it on the job with you. Somebody's going to say, hey, I don't know what you've been doing, but something different about you today. You're not your same old self. What is this about you? Oh, I've had an encounter with the glory of God. So the glory of the uh, presence of God is enabling. Thank you, Jesus. The glory of God is disabling. Take, for example, the tabernacle plan. The tabernacle plan involves the holy place and the holy of holies. The holy place was where the lampstand, the table of showbread, uh, the uh, altar of incense was. And in the holy place, it was a place of priestly activity. It's a type of the presence of God. The actual lampstand is a direct type of the presence of God, shedding light throughout the room that had no natural light. There were no windows, nowhere for light to get in except through the lamps, uh, the candelabra. And so the priest's job was to take blood from the altar on the outside and to come into the holy place and to distribute the blood at the various stations along the way. And as you know, uh, blood shelf life isn't very long. I mean, it's going to start kind of getting hard to fling after a while or whatever they do. So he had to move, and he had to move through the process. So when you see the priest in the holy place, think of a man in the presence of God moving and doing. But now when you get to the holy of holies, when you get to the glory place where the mercy seat is, the priests are no longer the active agent. Now... It's the Shekinah glory of God that reveals himself behind the veil and the function of the priest. It doesn't have to do anything but just see and survive. <laughs> All right? You get the picture? 
Let me help you a little further. Zechariah chapter number three. Zechariah has a vision of Joshua the high priest going into the holy of holies. And guess who follows him in there? Satan, the accuser. And the accuser, this is how it reads. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Boy, why, he wouldn't even choose the left side. He chose the right hand side. Satan wants to stand and accuse you. He wants to accuse you of, in your strength. While you're in the presence of God. Somebody may be under the domain of satanic accusation even now. You're not going to get what you need. You sin, no use to pray. God doesn't hear you or people like you. That's why we have the blood of Jesus to come against these demon forces. You want to know why he doesn't want you to have a breakthrough? Because he's terrified of people who believe there's one God. Thou doest well, and the devils believe and tremble. When the devil believes you believe, it scares the life out of him. Do we have any believers in this place this morning? Don't let him silence your worship. Don't let him lower your hands when it's time to praise God. Don't let him stop your mouth from exalting the Lord of glory. Don't let him prevent you from coming forth for your miracle. I'm going to tell you something. Before the day is over, I'm going to ask people who have needs that have never been met yet. You've prayed. You've fasted. You've believed. You've waited. You've struggled. You've wept. And nothing but in the name of Jesus the glory of God will reveal itself and when it does you watch and see what happens so he showed him Joshua the high priest and Satan accusing him look at his clothes they're dirty and the Lord said to the angel change Joshua's clothes put a new robe on him <laughs> Behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Remember what I said. In the holy place, the priest is moving from here to here to here, but in the holy of holies, he's just... <laughs> Joshua doesn't say anything. Doesn't talk back to God or the devil. The Lord says, change his clothes. He can't even take his own shirt off. He's just there in the press. Yes. What am I trying to say? There is a time when the presence of God equips you to do things for him. Yes. Then there are moments in our experience when it's God's turn to do something great for you. Yes. And so... Spirit of the Lord ministered to Zechariah who was the father of John the Baptist in the Holy of Holies while he was offering incense and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and it startled him 
and gripped him with fear in Luke chapter number 1. Verse 13, the angel said unto him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth shall bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said, how can these things be? I'm old. You see? In God's presence, you might be able to claim you're old. But in God's glory, hush your mouth. This isn't about you or what you can or cannot do. It's about God and what he says that he would do. And so now Lazarus, he was sick and they sent for Jesus in time. But Jesus delayed and delayed and delayed. And now four days have passed and Lazarus has been in the grave for four long days. Yeah. He's not just dead. He's dead and gone. He's dead and decomposing. Their circumstance had a boulder in front of it. I want to preach to somebody. Your dream, you think your dream is dead. You think, the, you think the thing that you once wanted God to do is gone. And that there's a stone in front of it. And it's hopeless. And they said, Lord, if you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And Jesus looked back at them and said, did not I tell you? That if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. So now I'm preaching about seeing the glory of God. What does seeing the glory of God look like? Are you ready? Despite the decay, despite the deadness, despite the boulders, despite the funeral, despite the loss of hope, Lazarus! And so I make an altar appeal to somebody. You've prayed all you can pray. You can't pray anymore. You've cried all the tears you have. You can't cry anymore. You wait on the porch for a, for a long lost son or daughter. You've talked. You've witnessed. You've preached. You've scolded. Nothing has worked. And all you do is wait and wait and wait. The doctor told you, you got a chronic sickness. You're just going to have to live with it. And you've almost started laboring yourself. Well, I'm a diabetic. Didn't Jesus tell us if we would believe, we would see the glory of God? What's it like to see the glory of God? That's when you present the difficulty that you can't do anything about. That's when you present the deadness of your circumstance that is beyond your control. And you say, God, I can't, I, I'm making an altar appeal. Let's stand. I'm making an altar appeal for people who can't do anymore. Can't. I, I can't. You even said it. I can't. I can't. I can't do anymore. 
I can't take it anymore. Here's the word from the Lord. You don't have to do anymore. God. 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 God's glory. God's glory. If you need, if you need a miracle from God, I want you to come and step step along here in the front of this altar. We're going to pray that the glory of the Lord revives your Lazarus. Hallelujah. That the glory of the Lord releases you from the prison of depression. The mother and dad, while you intercede for a rebellious child, the glory of the Lord, whether they're in Ohio or New York or L.A., is going to confront them because God's saying, you did all you can do now. You need me. You, you need me now. Oh, God. Oh, I feel it. Listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.